Good morning. Hope you had a happy Easter. It's good to see you. Uh, we have been talking about um, the resurrection over the last few weeks, and um, I really just would like to conclude uh, this message or this series this week, um, this uh, today, and just talk about um, you know what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. That's what we've been looking at, 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul wrote this letter to this church in Corinth, and and uh, he was just uh, explaining to them what the resurrection is all about, what are the benefits of the resurrection, and uh, the implications for, for you and for me. And uh, so over the last number of weeks, I would encourage you to go back and, and listen. If you, haven't, you didn't hear some of these messages, to so go back and listen. You can go on our website and, and find ways to listen. But without the resurrection, there's no grace. Uh, there's no uh, unmerited favor. It's, it, it would be no grace. Without the resurrection, we talked about, there would be no faith. This would be a waste of our time. Gathering together, singing songs, you know, coming together within, with the, within the church is, would be a waste of time. Our, our faith would be, would be worthless. It would be in vain if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul even said, made it take it even a step further and said, without the resurrection of Jesus, we might as well just eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, you know, he's, in other words, without the resurrection of Jesus, we should just live it up. We should just party. We should have no morals without the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because there would be no accountability. Who, who's holding us accountable, you know, to our actions? Who's holding us accountable to our choices? Well, with the resurrection of Jesus, we know that one day we're going to step into eternity and we're going to be held accountable. We're going to stand before a holy God and he's going to give an, we're going to have to give an account to the good and to the bad. But the good news is about eternity is without the resurrection, we would have no hope, but we do have a hope. We have a hope that one day we're going to leave this, this difficult world that we live in, the challenges of this life that we live in and we're going to step into eternity and there and there we're going to have a new body that's good news for a lot of us we're going to have a new body that experiences no more hurt no more pain uh, we're going to experience no more sorrow no more grief that's what the resurrection of Jesus has done for us we have a hope that we're going to go to a better place isn't that good news that we're going to go to a better place a place that that God has prepared for you if you put your faith in Jesus that God has a home for you. You have a, an address in heaven with your name on it. And that's where you're going to be. Your home is, and it's going to be better than any home that you can own on this earth. Any place that you can visit that just get, leaves you in awe and wonder on this planet earth, it pales in comparison to what heaven is going to be. What a hope that we have, right? We only have that hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. We only have that hope because we believe rationally, rationally, and we've been looking at over the last number of weeks, rational evidence of the resurrected Jesus. And, and I know if you're just, if you're new to the faith or you just look peering into the faith of Christianity, or you've heard or a professor or a friend or a family member told you, you know, that this, you know, this is folklore, this is a fairy tale. I believe that there are mountains and mountains and mountains of evidence to prove in a resurrected Jesus. And if there is, if there is, that should change everything for us. If he really did beat death, if we put our faith in Jesus who beat death, that should change everything in our life. And that, therefore, should give us a purpose. So I'm, I'm going to say to you today this. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there's no purpose. There's no purpose of this life. There's no purpose of rationalizing what's, what, what, you know, what we go through in this world. There's no purpose. But if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, there is a purpose. 
There is a purpose that will fulfill you. There is a purpose that will fill that empty void inside of you that you haven't been able to find something that has filled that void. And even Solomon, in all of his wisdom, he, he even tried out all of the different things of this life that, that he thought could bring him satisfaction or bring him pleasure or bring him fulfillment, and none of it satisfied. He said, I tried everything. The, everything that was pleasing to my eye, I tried it. Everything that I thought would make me feel good, I tried it. And you know what he discovered? He discovered that it was all vanity. It was all empty. There was no fulfillment. So you can just trust Solomon, who historically was a real king and reigned in Israel and did these things. Historically, we can prove that. You can trust Solomon to say, hey, instead of me trying out the pleasures of this world, which, by the way, Solomon realized only brought about more hurt and more pain and more frustration, more stress, more anxiety in his life by trying these things out. So you can trust Solomon or you can try them out for yourself, and I don't recommend that. But we believe in a resurrected Jesus, and as a resurrected Jesus, we believe in a hope. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If we've hoped in Christ in this life only, 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. This has sort of been the anchor verse of the series. This is the verse that we come around and say, you know what? If my hope is found in this life only, and, and I, don't, I don't have to ask you, if we could all tell about how life just disappoints, how life never satisfies. And if we have hoped in Christ, in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied, especially those who say that they're Christians. If, they say that, if we say that you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, which, by the way, over the next few weeks, I'm not even going to advocate that you be, be a Christian. Doesn't that sound kind of weird coming from me? Next, next series is don't be a Christian. You should come back for that. <laughs> don't be a Christian. You should come back for that. You really should, especially those that are looking into the faith. So listen, this is, as a, for, for those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus or Christians, if we've hoped in Christ in this life, we should be, you should feel sorry for us because we give our time, we give our energy, we give our resources, we give our money, we give things to the work of God. And if he didn't resurrect, you should feel sorry for us. We should be pitied because of the sacrifices that we make. And we don't look at them, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, we don't look at them as sacrifices, do we? We look at them as investments. That's the way that we look at them. But Paul says, hey, if you've hoped in this life only, we're all in most pity. But our hope, our hope is not in this life, is it? Church, Christian, Christian, follower of Jesus. Wait, you just told me not to be a Christian, but now you're saying Christian, you're asking me, if I don't even know what to do here in this moment. I get it, I get it. Listen, Followers of Jesus, we've, we've hoped in eternal life, haven't we? That's where our hope is. That's where our hope is. There was a man who um, had three siblings, and uh, he wanted to outdo his siblings for the, their mother's birthday. And so all the three years, his siblings would outdo him, and so he came across some money, and he said, this year, for, for mom's birthday, I'm going to outdo all my siblings. I'm going to get her the best gift. So he read about this bird. He read about this bird that had 4,000 words in its vocabulary. 
It could say 4,000 words. It could, it could also speak multiple languages. This bird could speak multiple languages. This bird could also sing three long opera songs. That's the, what this bird could do. So this guy spent $15,000 to buy this bird and have it delivered to his mother. And he thought, this is the gift. I mean, this bird speaks 4,000 words. Some of us humans don't speak that. 4,000 words. This thing can speak multiple languages. This thing can sing three long opera songs. This is going to be the gift that's going to outdo all my siblings. So he had it delivered to his mom, and he knew when the date was that the, the bird would be delivered, and he called his mom up and he said, mom, what do you think about that bird? What do you think about this gift? And her reply was, it was delicious. <laughs> Not really the intention, was it? Not really the purpose. Now, I say that because I wonder sometimes if we're living our life in the intended purpose that God has for us. I wonder if our life, if our life, the way that we live our life is the intended purpose that God has for us. And I want to just help you understand what God's purpose is for your life. I want you to understand what God has for you in your life. I want you to know that God's plan and God's purposes and God's intention for you is better than what this world can offer. I want you to know that you're here, you're living, you're breathing, you have breath in your lungs. God woke you up this morning to know that you can be a part of the story of God. That God has specifically has a designed plan for your life. He has worked out a plan for you. He knows exactly why you exist on planet earth. He wants you to realize what that is. He wants you to begin to discover what that looks like. And so Paul, in the end of, of 1 Corinthians 15, he gives them the gospel. And then he tells them what to do with it. So he gives them the gospel. Here's the gospel, verse 56 in, in Psalm 15, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56. The sting of death is sin. Another, another uh, Paul wrote in Romans that the wages of sin is death. That as a result of sin, and sin doesn't make us do bad things, sin makes us dead. You need to know that. Sin doesn't make us do bad things, sin makes us dead. We are, the Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We are eternally separated from God as a result of our sin. Why? Because God is a holy God without sin. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. In other words, that God, and if you have an Old Testament, you know, if you read the, the Old Testament, you'll discover that there's 600 plus laws. And, and they, even, they even tried to narrow it down to simplify it even more. It, was, it went from 600, you know, to, to 10, and you know them as the 10 commandments. And so God takes the 10 commandments and says, hey, here's the law, here's the law, follow the law. You know what happened? You know what they discovered? They fell short. They couldn't do it. Only one person was able to fulfill the whole law. Only one person was able to accomplish the task of making sure that they did everything that the law required. And that one person's name is Jesus. 
He lived a perfect, sinless life. He fouled every rule of the law, every rule of the law. He fulfilled it. No other person in mankind and humanity could do that. And what the law, the purpose of the law, the point of the law, the intention of the law was to show mankind how far they fall short of God. If you want to know how far you fall short of God, you just read the Old Testament and you read all the laws and you go, I failed, I failed, I failed, I failed. But here's, I love the next verse. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when you failed, Jesus won and he gave the victory to you and to me. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. You and I failed. We fall short of God because of our sin, he paid the the debt of our sin on the cross. He beat death and rose from the grave. And because of that, he's been given the victory. And so instead of him keeping the victory to himself, which he had every right to do, he gives the victory to you and to me. It looks like this. It looks like this. Mason, come here, man. How's it going? Thanks for your help. All right, Mason, stand up on the stage. All right, Mason represents humanity, okay? Represents you and me, okay? I represent Jesus because, you know, I'm a pastor. No, I know, I don't know. Just kidding, kidding. Mason, here's what I want. Mason, do you want $20? Do you want $20? All right, anybody jealous that they didn't get picked? Yeah, no, too late. It's too late, Jesse. I already picked. Mason, here's how you get $20. All right, you're gonna need to back up a little bit as much room as you possibly can because I'm gonna stand here Welcome home. Good to have you back. I'm going to stand here, and I want you, Mason, I want you to jump off the stage in the air, grab this $20 out of my hand. If you can do that, you get this $20. Who thinks that Mason can do this? Come on, give it up for Mason. Do you think everybody, yeah, Mason. Look at it, he's a young guy, real athletic, you know, he can do this, he can do this. Now, Mason, are you ready? Can you, how, how good do you feel about your chances of jumping off the stage in the air and taking the 20 out of my hand? How, how, how good do you feel about this? Not very good. That's right. He doesn't feel very good about his chances. The reason why is because it's impossible. It's impossible. I mean, I don't, I don't know who's the best athlete in the room. Maybe Whit, you're probably the best athlete in the room. All right, Whitney, could you do this feat? Could you jump from the stage in air, grab the 20 out of my hand? I probably could. You probably could. All right. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> Of course he could not do it. But here's, now listen, here's the, here's the picture. Here's the picture. Mason is humanity. I'm a holy God. There's no way that Mason can jump, earn, work, uh, you know, pay. There's no way that he could get to God. There's no way possible that he could get to me. There's no possible way for him to do that. Because there's so many. So in between Mason and I, there's 600 plus laws that man, that humanity breaks that says, you fall short. You fall short. 
You fall short. You fail. But here's the good news. Jesus won. Jesus made the leap. Jesus died on the cross. He conquered death in the grave. By the power of God, he came out of the grave. And here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. You, you and I, don't have to leap and try to catch this in the air because that's impossible. So God, and here's what makes the, the Christian message unique. Here's what makes the gospel unique. No other faith, no other faith, no other philosophy tells you that this is how you get to God. This is only unique to Christianity. What God did is that God came to us. God, you never, you won't read that in any other religion. You won't see that in any other philosophy. You won't, you won't, you won't see that in any other faith-based you know, movement. The, the message of Christianity, the message of the Bible, the message of Jesus is that we failed. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you the victory. And even though Mason didn't earn this, and Mason certainly doesn't deserve this, I'm going to give it to him anyways. Yeah. And that's called grace. Amen. And as a result of what God did for us, are you feeling awkward right now as I'm doing this to you? Yeah. As a result of what God did for us, Mason now, now God doesn't just go, all right, here you go, man, enjoy that. I'm out of here. I'm going back to heaven. No, no, no. The presence of God now is with Mason that Mason received the gift of grace. And now the presence of God is now with Mason. And so I'm, as the representation of the presence of God, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna lead Mason. Come on, Mason, you come on, you gotta follow me. I'm gonna lead Mason in a life. Yeah. That's right, keep following. And I'm gonna lead him in a life of fulfillment and purpose. And he's going to know what it looks like to have a life of intention about it. And wherever the presence of God goes, Mason is going to be with it. Because Mason knows that on his own, man, he's going to fall. He's going to stumble. He's going to fail. But Mason knows that with the presence of God, hold on. <laughs> I'm out of shape. With the presence of God, he knows that that's where purpose is. And one day, don't, don't check out of this right yet. One day, the presence of God is going to lead Mason into only where Jesus can lead Mason. And that is into the throne room of a holy God because Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life, and no one goes to the Father unless it's through Jesus. And G Mason's gonna just follow him in his life, but one day Mason's gonna follow Jesus into eternity where there's no more pain, no more hurt, no more struggle, no more battle. Thanks, buddy. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the message. The message. And that will give you purpose. That will give you fulfillment. That will bring about exceedingly great joy in your life. If you just follow him. Follow him.
Now here's what Paul says. Next verse, and this is where we're going to wrap up this chapter. Talking about the resurrection. He says, verse 58, Therefore, now we've, you've, you maybe heard me say this before, but whenever the word is therefore, it's therefore a reason. <laughs> it's therefore a reason. And typically it's therefore what was already said. What has preceded, that's what therefore is there for. And so after all the things that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, about the, about the veracity of the resurrection of Jesus, about how Jesus truly did rise from the grave, and here are rational evidence to prove, rational evidence to show that he was a risen Savior. And he says, now therefore, he says, my beloved brethren, so he's now talking to us. My beloved brethren, he says, be steadfast. Be steadfast. In other words, what you know, what you believe, or what you feel inside of your heart of God stirring and working and saying, and, and, and something inside of you going, I think this is true. I think this is true. To listen to that and say, you know what? This is God saying to you and to me in light of the gospel, in light of the good news, in light of what I just illustrated to you of what God did. He says, I want you to be steadfast. And steadfast is a word that means to stand firm. Stand firm. It's, a, it's like a military term that means to keep your post. Don't veer off. Don't get scared and, and leave. And, you know, when they, when they were called to stand firm and you know, when the enemies would come their way, they were called to guard their area. And that, was, that meant just to, just to keep your ground. Stay firm. Be steadfast. It's also a, a word that sort of describes, you know, what, our heart, what happens to our hearts. That our hearts will, will easily veer off into something and find something that our hearts can lock into. What our hearts will find valuable. What our hearts will find is what Jesus describes as our treasure. The most valuable thing in our life. And so even in the Psalms, it says this in, in, in Psalm 57, verse 7. He says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Why? Because his heart was locked into God. The treasure of his heart was God. And in light of what Jesus did, in light of how Jesus died for your sins, paid your debt, was buried and by the power of God rose from the grave and now is a forerunner for you into eternal life. I'm urging you to make Jesus your treasure and to not allow anything else in this life to allow your heart to veer away from Jesus being the treasure of your heart. Because another psalmist says it this way in, in Psalm 78, verse 37. He says, For their heart was not steadfast towards him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. So it's possible that our, if, if we're not careful, that our heart will, will move away, that our heart will find something that we lock into that isn't God. And so Paul says, listen, in light of the gospel, in light of what Jesus has done, remain Remain steadfast. Why? Because your heart, here's what you need to know. Your heart is a follower, not a leader. Your heart is a follower, not a leader. 
You know what will happen when you lock into something that you love, lock into something that you enjoy, lock into something that you like? Your heart will follow. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Your heart is meant to follow. And so when you make, and this is important, when you intentionally make Jesus your treasure, you know what will follow along with that? Your heart. Your heart. Because your heart is a follower. It's never meant to be a leader. They hear me say this all the time. You've probably heard me say this all the time. Never let your heart lead. Never let your heart lead because Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceptive. Uh, The heart is beyond cure. It's wicked. It's beyond cure. It will trick you. It will fool you. Your heart was never meant to be a leader. Your heart was meant to be a follower. I love the idea of steadfast because it describes a word that, that I like to use in this culture. It describes the word grit, true grit. You know what I mean? Like that idea of just no matter what, I'm standing firm in my belief. No matter what, I'm not going to walk away from what I know to be true. No matter what, no matter how hard it is, no matter how challenging it is, no matter how difficult it is, I'm going to stand firm in my convictions of what God has done for me. It's just this idea of grit. And we can go through all of the scriptures and look at different examples of grit. We can look at Noah. Noah was a great example of, the, of grit. Noah was called by God to build an ark, to build a boat. God told him that it was going to rain. You know what that meant for Noah? Noah said, I don't even know what rain is. It never rained. They never knew. He never knew what rain was. But God says, I'm going to flood the earth. I want you to build a big boat. And Noah's going, what's a boat? What's an ark? They didn't know what any of these things were. But God says, here's the instructions. Be faithful to this. And Noah did. And Noah believed God. Why? Because he was steadfast. And you know what, you know what the Bible calls Noah? The Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. You know what that means? That means that Noah went out and Noah shared with all the people in his community and as many people as he could to say, hey, 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 there's a flood coming. There's a flood coming. And I'm building this boat. And they're like, what's a boat? It's a boat. You know, I don't know how he described it. They're like, there's a flood coming and I built this ark and you need to be on it. And they mocked him. They laughed at him. They thought he was ridiculous. They thought he was full of nonsense. And then the waters came. And the only ones that were on that ark was Noah and his family. You know why Noah? Because Noah had grit. No matter what they said, no matter what they thought, he was going to build that ark because he believed God over anything else. He believed God over anyone else. He had grit. You know what's sort of an underrated story in the story of the flood? I think it's never really talked about. You know, you talk, we talk about Noah. You know, we talk about his grit, his determination, his perseverance, his endurance. But you know what's sort of an underrated story in the, in the story of the ark? Are the story of the snails. We know that there was at least two snails, right? There was two of every kind. Are you following me? There was two of every kind of creature and animal. I, you never hear. I mean, can you imagine the snails going, all right, <laughs> we got to go. There's something coming. 
Spurgeon, 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 Charles Spurgeon said, boy, you can never underestimate the perseverance of the snail. I'm telling you, those snails, two of them, man, they were just, I don't know if they made these faces or not, but they're determined, right? They were determined. They had to get to that ark. They knew. And maybe all the other snails are going, where are you guys going? Where are you going? There's flood. What do you mean there's a flood? There's a boat. You got to get on a boat. What's a boat? And the, snail, the two snails are going, I, I got to get there. I got to get there. This is grit. This is determination. This is deciding, you know what? No matter what, I'm going to follow God. No matter what, no matter what it takes, no matter how hard it is, no matter how long it takes, I'm going to stay steadfast. A man went to go visit, the, it was called the House of Dying. It was in Calcutta where Mother Teresa served. This man spent a number of days in, with Mother Teresa and he watched as Young children were coming in at the, at the end, of their, end of their life where there was no solution, no amount of resources or money that was going to preserve their life or save their life. It'd have to literally be a miracle of God if they were going to survive. And every single day, Mother Teresa and others would, would bring these young children in and families would line up outside the door of the house of dying where their majority of them, most of them, would spend the, their last few days alive on this earth. And this man that was there observing the work of Mother Teresa and the time that she spent, this man asked her, how is it, how is it that day after day after day you bear the burden of this? How can you tolerate to bear the weight of, of every single day watching children die? And Mother Teresa's response was this, I was not called to be successful I was called to be faithful. Church, listen to me. You and I are not called to be successful when it comes to always living out the purposes of God. Always seeing people come to know and have a relationship with Jesus. But you and I are all called to be faithful. That this charge, this command is not just for, you know, a pastor or somebody that's in full-time ministry like I am or, or, or others. This is not just a charge for those. This is a charge for all of us. That in light of what Jesus has done for you and for me, that we were far from God, we were separated from God, our sin, we fell short of God, our sin made us dead, but God left his rightful place in heaven and he came down to this earth and he came to us and he extended a gift called grace because we couldn't get there, because we fall short, because we didn't earn it and he extended the gift of grace to us and by faith we received that gift of grace and for now until eternity we spend with him in his presence forever. This is the purposes of, of life, and this is what God has called us to do. Hey, in light of that, remain steadfast. Don't quit. Church, listen to me. Don't quit. Don't give up. Stand firm. Keep the faith. Keep trusting. Keep persevering. Keep enduring. Have some grit about you. Yeah, there's going to be things that are vie for your affection. Yeah, there's going to be things that are vie for your attention. But let your heart, 
Lock into who God is because he's the only one that will satisfy. He's the only one that will fulfill. Nothing else will. It's all vanity. Remain steadfast. The other description of this, he says this, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, not only did we remain steadfast, if you could throw 1 Corinthians 15, sorry, sorry, Neva, I bounced around. 1 Corinthians 15, yeah, 58, 58, sorry about that. It says, not only remain steadfast, but it says to remain immovable, immovable. Now, this is very similar, very similar Okay, the way that I describe it is this. Now, um, you know, it's the idea of this. Steadfast remains firm, right? But he says, he even takes it up a level. He says, I want you to be immovable about this. I want you to be immovable. The the best way to describe it is is this. It's the only way I could think of. When I tell my kids that they have to go to the doctors and get a shot, their response is, "Uh uh-uh, nope, mm mm-mm. And they, and they back down and they sit down and they're like, they remain steadfast in the fact that they're not going to the doctors to get a shot. That's steadfast. They're like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to the doctor. I'm not going. I'm not going. You can't make me. Da, 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 you know, the things that your kids say, you know, to you. And then I have to physically go to them and I say, yeah, you're going. You got to get a shot. You got to do this. This is for your benefit. This is for your good. You need this. this is, no, no. And I try to plead with them, but really it's like, I don't care if they get a shot or not. It really doesn't matter to me. So I then have to physically pick them up. Now at this point, they're dead weight. At this point, they've just gone limp. They're like, uh-uh. If, you're, if I'm going to the doctor, you're going to have to physically move me. This is immovable. And this is, I have to literally put them over my shoulder and get them into the car. You're going to the doctor. You're going to shot. This is, it's, it, it, it's a, a step further. It's not just about, I'm, nope, no, nope, I'm not going. I'm same, same, step fast. Nope. It's now, I'm immovable. And if I have to go, you're going to have to carry me. This is the mindset here. In light of what Jesus has done, this is the mindset. Hey, 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 you stand firm. Yeah, I know life is challenging. Yeah, life has its difficulties. I talk to people every single day who go through things that I wish they never had to go through. They wish they never had to go through. Listen, I I get it, I get it, I get it. And it would be so easy to to walk away. It'd be so easy to say that God isn't there. It'd be so easy to say that God isn't faithful. It'd be so easy to say that God isn't gonna come through for me. Listen, I'm telling you, I know those feelings, but I'm just telling you right now, right in this moment, stay firm, steadfast, immovable, immovable. And then he goes this, then he says this, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He says, not only do I want you to be steadfast and immovable, but I want you to always abound in the work of the Lord. That word abounding means this, to overdo it, to overdo it. Now, you know what? Our culture, you know what we love in our culture? We love in our culture these two things, uh, leisure and relaxation, don't we? We love leisure 
We love relaxation. This is what we love in our culture. We love these things. And, and none of these things are bad things. None of these things are bad things. But what Paul is advocating in saying this, listen to, to you, to those who believe in the resurrection, to those who believe that he really did beat death, to those that believe that he really did pay your debt for you, that in light of his abounding in loving kindness, and that's what the psalmist say, if you can throw those verses up, no, excuse me, Exodus 34, I'm sorry, not the psalmist, Exodus 34. Here's what it says about us. Here's what God says about us. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. This is the description of God, and I could give you 10 other verses that say the same thing. That God's kindness, God's loving kindness to you, God stepping into our life when we were far from him is God's abounding loving kindness to you. That God overdid it for you. That God took your penalty when you and I deserved it. He did it for you. It was his abounding loving kindness. And what Paul is saying, that in light of his abounding loving kindness, you should be loving and kind to others. This is the work of the Lord. That just like in, in you, as you and I can wrap our hearts and our minds around what God has done for us, that we should in turn do this for others. But what Christians are good at is we're good at, on occasion, not always abounding, but on occasion, I'll work. Again, it goes back to, yeah, I don't know if this is for me. I, I got a job, I got a family, I got you know, my leisure, I got my relaxation, and you know, on occasion, if the church asks me to do something, then I'll do it. Listen, listen, this is talking about a lifestyle. This is talking about going about your life with intention. This is talking about going about your life with purpose. This is, means that you are, in light of the gospel, in light of the good news of Jesus, that you're doing this in your home, that you're working for the Lord in your home with your family. This is in your job, in your career. This is you're working for the Lord at your job, in your career, in what you do every single day in life. This is, for you guys, this is going at school and being intentional, having purpose about being at school and working for the Lord. It changes the dynamic. It changes the mindset. And for many of us, many of us, we need to reorder our priorities. For many of us, we filled up our schedule with so many other things. That we only have time on occasion to do some work for the Lord. That so many of us have, have filled up our, our schedules to the point where we don't even, we don't have time to do anything for God. And so maybe, 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 God's saying your treasure is in something where it shouldn't be. Maybe you need to look at the amount of time you spend on something or the amount of money you put into something to determine what it is that truly is your treasure because whatever it is your treasure, that's where your heart will be. And Paul says, I want your heart. I want your heart to be so engaged in the work of God 
and not in anything else that this world has to offer. I want your heart to be so moved at what Jesus has done for you that you're always abounding. You're overdoing it for the work of the Lord. This is what we're called. And he says, in light of that, I want you to know that if you're abounding in the work of the Lord, if you're staying steadfast, if you're remaining immovable, and if you're always abounding in the work of the Lord, here's what he says at the end of this verse. Look what he says in verse 58. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You'll know, you'll know, you'll know, you'll know that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. When you live out those purposes, your life is not gonna be in vain. In other words, your life is not gonna feel empty. Your life is gonna be fulfilled. When you and I decide that my life is gonna be around what God has done for me and I'm gonna to respond to what God has done for me, that God has done the finished work for me and that I'm not saved by works, I'm saved for works that God has beforehand planned out for every single one of us. Amen. And if you have experienced the death burial and resurrection of Jesus in your life, if you're gonna grab a hold of the grace through faith and realize that you have a hope that is secure in a place called eternity, this should motivate us to say, I'm gonna be about his work in whatever I do. Whether I'm at home, I'm about his work. Whether I'm at work, I'm always about his work. Wherever I do life, I'm gonna be about his work. Wherever God calls me and places me and leads me on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm gonna be always about his work. Why? Because ever since Jesus came to me and extended the grace to me, I'm going to just keep following him. And he's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to direct you into what he has for you. And there's nothing more fulfilling than that. There's no greater purpose in life than that. You will discover that the work of God in your life will transform you and change you forever and will give you a peace and a joy and a fulfillment that you've never had before. Yes. This is the result of a resurrected Jesus. Without it, there's no purpose. There's no purpose. So stay steadfast. Not just steadfast, immovable. Immovable. And always abounding in the work of the Lord. Not on occasion, but always, always abounding. Let's pray. God, we, um, we thank you for the good news of the message of what you've done for us that you paid our sin debt. 
it was canceled, it was wiped away because of your shed blood on a cross. And we were forgiven. Those that put our faith in you were forgiven. But that wasn't the end of the story. The end of the story is that you rose from the grave and you ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father where you're awaiting the day of of return. And until then, until you return, we're gonna remain steadfast, immovable. And we're gonna be always abounding, doing above and beyond more than we are required or asked. We're gonna do more. We're gonna do more. Because you've abounded loving kindness to us, we want to extend that love and that kindness to others. Wherever we go about in life, wherever we do life, we're gonna extend that love and that kindness. We're gonna be about your work because life is about you. You're at the center, it's not us at the center, it's you, you're at the center of it. We play a part, a small part, a supporting role part in the story called redemption, the story that you're still telling of your incredible love and kindness to us. And we get to be a part of that. God, you've called us to go and to make disciples. And I pray, Lord, that we're open to that commission, that we're open to that calling, every single one of us, that we're in tune, that we're aware of, and that we're intentional about the plan that you have for humanity. And that we're the voice, we're the hands, we're the feet, we're the body of your son, Jesus, to a world that needs to hear and to know of your incredible, abounding love. I pray that we know, we know that we are open to that and know that that is the fulfillment in this life that we've been longing for, that we've been searching for. Nothing else satisfies. Everything else is in vain. But this toil, this labor, this work, we know is not. We thank you for extending that invitation to every one of us. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.